This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for October 14th, 2012. The Gospel is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Today's Gospel lesson, we have a familiar story, and you know, most people know it because of that saying that's in there that says that it is um, easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. I learned um, yesterday from some one of our parishioners that um, that the average person makes seven dollars a day. So all of you, I suspect, are probably in the top seventy-five percent of, or top twenty-five percent of all earners, um, which makes you rich. So unless you know how to get a camel through the eye of a needle, um, you might want to listen. <laughs> so what is that about? I mean, why? I've heard sermons where they talk about that saying, well, you know, the needle was the needle gate, and it was this real narrow gate that was in Jerusalem, and, and that was what they were talking because it was hard for camels when they were loaded down to get through the gate. And I always thought, well, that would be really convenient, except for the fact that that doesn't tell you anything about the eye of a needle. I mean, an eye of a needle is pretty specific. And if you look it up in the Greek, even it says the eye of a needle. I mean, I don't even know you could get that camel hair through an eye of a needle. I can't, but I can't even get the little threads through the eye of a needle because one thing I can't see them that well, but, um, but I mean, it would be very, very difficult. So what the story is, is this man, as Jesus is getting ready to set out on a journey to begin to, to tell people more about the kingdom of God, comes running up to him and he says, good teacher, Good teacher is how he addressed him. He says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to obtain, is another way you could say that, uh, eternal life? What do I have to do to get eternal life? And so Jesus looks at him and says something that's kind of interesting. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. Now, apparently it was a rhetorical question because he immediately then proceeds to tell the man what he needs to do which is interesting. And we'll get back to that. Why do you think he said that? I mean, what was the point of bringing up the whole thing, only God is good? Perhaps, or perhaps he was getting to a different point, which is, does this guy recognize who he's really talking to? You know, does he really get it? Or not, and so he says, "You know the commandments. You know, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't kill anybody, honor your father, mother, all that good stuff." And it says that the the man says to him, "Master, I've, I've done all of these since I was born. I've always done them." And it says it says that Jesus looked at him, which is you know, and we read over that pretty quickly, but you can almost imagine the way it says it. It's almost like he gazes into his soul or his eyes and his heart to see, you know, is he sincere? You know, is this for real? And he looks deep into this man and then he tells him something. He says, you know, there's only one thing that you lack. There's only one thing from preventing you from having eternal life. Go and sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. But what's even more astounding about that is what it says that happened right before he tells him what to do. It says Jesus looked at him and he loved him. 
Do you realize how seldomly that actually happens in Scripture, that it says that Jesus loves someone specifically? I mean, obviously, God so loved the world. I mean, we get a lot of, of broad type thing, but rarely do you get an individual that it says that Jesus loved. Clearly, there was something about this man who touched Jesus in a very special way. And so he, he sees it and looking at that, he is so close. He's only got one thing that he needs to do. Now, if you think about that, would you like to have just one thing you need to do? I mean, that'd be, I'd take one. <laughs> I mean, that'd be wonderful. The other thing that he does that doesn't happen a lot either is that he says, go and do these things and then come and follow me. Do you realize how seldom in Scripture Jesus says to an individual, follow me? You know, he says, you know, take a, if anyone would follow me, they must take up their cross um, and deny themselves. Um, but, but he doesn't very often tell us, you know, we don't hear these stories about specific people that he said, come follow me. You know, there are some obvious ones. Who did he tell to come follow him? Yeah, the, the disciples. He calls them. And so this guy's getting a specific invitation from Jesus to join his disciples. And not only that, but it says he loved him. Now, it doesn't say he loved Matthew. It doesn't say he loved Peter or Andrew. There is the beloved disciple, who most people think was probably John. But there aren't very many people that you hear this. He loved him. You know, and so obviously there's been this connection that's gone on. And it says that the man went away very sad because he couldn't do that. You can almost see the dejection that comes across him as Jesus says, go and sell all of your possessions and come and follow me. He's like, oh. Now the question was, what do I have to do to inherit eternal What's standing between me and eternal life? And Jesus simply told him, that's the only thing. You do that and you're there. Imagine what would have been would have been like if he had actually been able to do that. I mean, he didn't bumble like Peter did. You know, he wasn't trying to jockey for first position like a lot of the disciples. You know, he, he was far ahead of where most of us would be. But that was one thing he couldn't do. It was a bridge too far. I mean, it was one step that he could not take. And it said, for he had many possessions. And the disciples are looking at him and saying, wow, that's something. And he says to him, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And, and then it tells us that the disciples are astounded. I mean, they're, they're kind of shocked and amazed because they're thinking, well, who could get in then? And, and if you think about it, they were like us. They dreamed of being able to become, you know, secure financially, to be able to provide for their families and, and all the kinds of things we do. I mean, it wasn't any different. And now they're hearing, you can't do that. That won't get you there. You can't depend on those things. And so Peter says, well, I always love Peter. Peter says, well, Lord, we gave up everything when we followed you. He's like, look at me, look at me, I did good. <laughs> and, and he says, you know, we gave up, you know, father, father and mother. And, and indeed he did. Peter had a fishing business with his brother Andrew. And when he left, he left behind his mother-in-law and his wife and gave up everything just to follow him. 
And Jesus says, I tell you truly that anyone who gives up these things, you know, mother, father, brother, sister, children, children, really children, fields, your possessions, and follows me will have all of these things added to you in this age a hundredfold. But then there's a slight little phrase in there. He says, with persecution. Don't you love the fine print? <laughs> with persecution. You know, what, what, what's with the persecution stuff? But think about it. That's what happens when you walk away from the things that possess you, isn't it? They don't like it, particularly if they're people. You know, when you walk away because your boss says, you can't bring that Christian stuff in here, they aren't going to be pleased about it. You know, if you left your parents because that's what you had to do to be closer to Christ, you think they're going to like the idea? Probably not. Or your wife or your kids, they'll be furious. And so Jesus says that anybody who puts anything between me and them cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And you see, the real message here isn't about money. You know, money is only one of the things that we might put in front. Not everybody does put it between them. For some people, money is just a tool. You know, it's great if you got it. They don't worry about it too much if you don't got it. I mean, it's just that way. Even very wealthy people are sometimes that way. You know, some people give away all their money and live very frugally in the meantime. You know, it's not like they, well, yeah, they give away all their money, but look how they're living. They're doing great. Some of them don't live that way. They live very quietly. They don't spend money on a lot of things. And they don't mind giving it away. It doesn't bother them. But everybody does have something, something that is an obstacle of us um, surrendering ourselves totally to Jesus Christ. And whatever that is, it prevents us from inheriting eternal life. Because nothing in our life can come before Jesus if we want to share in his immortal life. Because whatever it is, if you want to share in his resurrection, you're going to have to surrender it. You're going to have to give it to him. You're going to have to let it go and do whatever he says to do with it. St. Francis of Assisi is, is one of my favorite saints. His feast day is my birthday, actually. And, and he um, was one of those people. St. Francis was a playboy. I mean, he was very wealthy. He liked to be in the army because they got to, you know, dress up in fancy uniforms and go out and fight. And then afterwards, they go out, go out drinking and, and singing fight songs and things like that. And I mean, he, he was just this kind of the original party animal. And one day he was in church and he heard uh, this read from the gospel to give away everything you own to the poor. And he said, God's talking to me. So he went out of church and, and he took all of his money, started giving it to people. All the poor people he saw. And then he ran out of money, so he started taking off his expensive coat. Gave it to somebody. And sooner or later, eventually, he's, you know, some, he said, well, I don't have anything else. Well, the shoes. I can give the shoes. So I gave the shoes away. Next thing you know, he gave his stockings away. They gave his shirt away. They gave his pants away. He's running around in his loincloth. You know, and his parents find out about this, and they go, what are you doing? You know, you, you better come home now. And so he thought that was a good idea because he had more stuff there. And so he goes home and he gets his stuff and he goes out and he gives that away too. And his father says, are you crazy? And so his dad gets him more stuff. He says, you know, you can't do that, son. You know, they'll just take advantage of you. 
You'll end up penniless. Don't do that. And so his father gives him all these nice things again. You know what he did? He went back out again, gave it away. This went on a few times before his father caught on. Um, And his father finally said, I'm not giving you anything else. And so he just started taking things like drapes and stuff in the house, you know, because he lived in a very resplendent place. And and his father finally kicked him out. You know, he said, we disown you. You're crazy. You can't do that. And yet... All of his life, that's what he would go and beg for food from people and then give it to other people. All that he would ever eat was a small morsel of bread a day and a drink of water from the stream. That's why he died so young. I mean, he was in terrible health. But how many people in the world have heard of St. Francis now? You know, probably nobody would have known him if he hadn't done that. Now, does that mean that we all have to do that? Not necessarily. Maybe it would depend. But what it does say to us is that all of us need to look at our own lives and say, what are the things that are blocking me from being completely sold out to Jesus Christ so that I can share in his life for eternity? What are those things that if Jesus came to me today and said, I want you to give that up, you got to get rid of it, that you couldn't do. you just go, Wow, I mean, that's, that, that's too much. I can't do that. You know, and it might be money, but it also might be your children or your parents or your spouse or your career or friends. It could be lots of things. And it's not that those things in and of themselves are bad. They're not. They're only bad if they get in the way if we put them ahead of the call of Christ. And that goes on in life all the time. I mean, you can see it. I mean, what are the, a good way to examine it in your own life, what would prevent you from going to church on Sunday? What might get in the way if you're going to church on a Sunday? Football game? Six feet of snow? Flat tire? Hmm? Work? Football game? Staying up too late? That happened a lot at 8 o'clock because we only had 18 people there. Um, or 19, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things that get in the way of our saying, I want to go and praise God for what he's done. You know, and it's not necessarily that it makes us evil people because we're not evil. But it does mean that we sometimes forget who has purchased us, whose life we breathe. And we forget that if we want to live his life forever, we can't pick and choose when we want to do it. Because then he isn't Lord, we are. Now, I wish I could tell you that you could pick those things that do interfere with that for you and go, okay, I'm not doing it anymore and life would be hunky-dory. But in all honesty, if it was that easy, you would have already done it. And honestly, if it was that easy for that man, he would have already done it. Those are the things that are the obstacles that prevent us from getting there. And we all have them. But the truth is, for every one of us, there is no one who is accepted from this. Sooner or later, 
Could be today, could be tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, at the end of your life. I don't know when it'll be. But someday Jesus is going to come and he's going to say, you have to let it go. You can't have it anymore. And then what are you going to do? I'll tell you a story about that. Um, when in 1994, about six weeks after Judy and I got married, my dad, um, who had bone cancer, um, was in serious shape, and we got a call saying he was going to die probably in the next 24 hours. And so we went down to Louisville to, to spend his last hours with him. And as we sat there by the bedside and, uh, and talked to him, and he really was sort of slept a lot and was in and out. Sometimes he was awake, sometimes he wasn't. Bone cancer is a terribly painful disease. Um, it, he would occasionally just be laying there quiet, and then I would hear him say, No! I'd say, No what, Dad? He said, I told him no. Well, I said, told who no? <laughs> and he said, that guy. I looked around and I said, what guy? That guy standing right there. He was pointing to the front door. And I said, Dad, there's nobody there. He went, oh, all right. So I thought, well, that was weird. But maybe it was the medication they had him on, the morphine or something. I didn't think much about it. So, you know, a number of hours later, he all of a sudden says, no. And I said, what do you mean, no? <laughs> and he goes, I told him no. I said, you told who no? That guy. And I said, the guy you mentioned earlier? And he said, yeah. And I said, Dad, there's not anybody there. So, all right. So the next day, yeah, I'm just thinking, this is kind of strange, but all right. He says it again. No. And I said, do you see that guy again, Dad? And he goes, yeah, right there. And I said, who, you know, what does he want? And he said, he wants me to go with him. And I told him no. Well, you think he might have figured this out a little sooner given I'm a priest, but it took a while. Um, but, um, as I thought about that later on, it dawned on me who it was. It was Jesus telling him it's time to let all that go. But dad couldn't do that. He couldn't let it go because he was waiting for my sister to come. Matter of fact, every once in a while, there was everything. He would call out her name. And I thought he was calling out my mother's name because it's the same name. My mother had already died. Um, I guess I watched too many movies or something. But, um, and I realized after all that that what was happening was he was waiting for my sister to come. And she had already said she wasn't coming because she doesn't do death. And so here he is waiting to die, and he's telling Jesus, no, I can't go. There's something between me and you. And so the next time he said that on Saturday night, I said, he said, no. And I said, Dad, does that guy keep asking you to go with him? And he said, yeah. And I said, what does he look like? And he said, he's just really nice, and he glows like I said, well, the next time that he comes and tells you to go with him, tell him it's okay. You know, it's all right. And he said, do you think so? I said, yeah, Dad, it'll be fine because Renata Ann's not coming. He said, all right. And the next morning he died. He never said no again. And he went. Now, that was a sad moment for me, but it was also a glorious moment for me. I mean... Imagine this, you know, the only thing I can compare it to is like when John was born, 
You know, it's this holy moment. Here, my father is having conversations with the Lord of life himself and arguing with him, which if you think about it, that's what we do a lot of. But um, And here I am telling him it's okay, you can go. But he wasn't ready because there was something in between. It wasn't until I gave him permission that he could finally say, let it go and say it's going to be all right. Someday you're going to have to let go. You know, I don't know if it's going to be your 401k or your wife or your kids or whatever, but someday there's something you're going to have to walk away from. Maybe a lot of some days you're going to have to find things to walk away from. And you're not going to want to because it hurts. But you have to decide what's important. Life? Would you rather have this temporary sense of security that ultimately dies? And die with it? Or would you rather have an eternity to experience the life that Jesus created for you? And the truth is, you don't have to wait until you're on your deathbed to do that. You can start getting those things out of the way now. As a matter of fact, if you're like me, you have more than just one, so you might want to get started early. Because it could take some.